Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. Today we're talking about the last portion of Matthew chapter 6. Verses 33 and 34, where Jesus says to seek Him. Have you ever felt like time was just going and you're just making every effort to try to stay at pace with life? It's just kind of like you wake up and there's another day and it's kind of like, uh, you know, have you ever seen the movie with Bill Murray, uh, Groundhog Day, where it's just like he's waking up and it's just like, oh. Man, here we go again. And it feels kind of like that. It's like your every effort is trying to make it through the day. It's like you're struggling just to get up out of bed. Now, let's add on to that tomorrow. And let's add on to that the next day. Let's add on to that marriage. Let's add on to that kids. Let's add on to that a job. Let's add on to that bills. Let's add on to that all the things that we go through in life and on and on and on and we just kind of wish that it would go away. That's why some people that struggle with depression, they just don't want to get out of bed because getting out of bed means they're dealing with that moment. Well, there's an answer to the madness that the world likes to dump on us and make us worry and freak out about. There's an answer for the problems that are facing us day in and day out and the unknowns of tomorrow. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34, when Jesus says this, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the unknowns of the future. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. How can we just hand it all over to God and not worry? How is it that we should just focus on Him? We're too busy to see what truly matters is really the underlying issue in this entire thing. If you look at the rest of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, you know, you're worrying about your clothing. You're worrying about your food. You're worrying about all these things that take place in this world. And He's saying, but look, I give flowers to cover the fields and they do nothing. 
I give food to the birds. They know exactly where to land. They know that the berries will be on the trees. They know that the worm is going to be in the ground. He goes, don't worry because I think that you're more valuable than all of the rest of creation. In fact, when Ephesians chapter 2 lets us know that we are His workmanship created for good works, that word workmanship is like the one-of-a-kind masterpiece poem being designed by a master poet. It's like saying, you are my pride and joy, peace in this world. I value you above everything else in all creation. I mean, if we look through a a telescope, we're amazed at what we see, aren't we? We see the stars and we see the, the, the moons and we see all those wonderful masterpieces in the sky. And we're amazed. In fact, David in Psalm 98, that's what he was saying, right? Who is man? That you should take note of him. When I look at all that you've created, God... But God says, you're my masterpiece. You're the one that I came and I died for. I valued you at that price, my body. So really, when it comes down to it, Jesus is saying, don't worry about the things on this earth. Because I'm the one worrying about you. Isn't it nice when somebody else is worrying? I mean, when somebody else is driving, it's so much easier for you to go ahead and sit there gabbing to them as they're worrying about what turn to take and that nature, right? They're they're stressing out like, oh, I might miss my turn. I might miss my turn. And you're just there, oh, and then this happened and that happened. And you're going, oh, you know, that one individual is freaking out while you're worry-free. Isn't it nice when somebody else worries? And Jesus is saying, I have your back. I'm the one worrying and watching over you. You see, the truth is, God wants us to realize that we're not living for this time, but that we're living for eternity. Your life being lived here in those 70, 80, maybe 90 years that you have on this life is being lived for eternity. And that's why Jesus calls us to seek Him first. To seek His kingdom. The word seek in the, in the Greek is the word zeti. And it means to search out, to inquire, to investigate. So you can reach a definitive resolution or conclusion. Jesus is saying, I want you to go out and make a decision in life on how you will live. And that decision should be kingdom. That decision should be you reaching for Jesus in every moment of life. Now, I realize that we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to go to work. But Jesus is saying, do those things with me. Don't separate and differentiate your walk in Christ with your friendships with people, with the way that you work, with the way that you talk, with the way that you act. 
Jesus is saying, I want to be in the center of it as you live for the kingdom of God. To the Hebrews, when he says to seek, it literally is being called out into them. Because remember, Jesus is talking to 12 Hebrew boys, 12 Jewish boys that are following him. He's their rabbi, okay? And they're his disciples. He's seated them on the mountainside and he's been giving them the lessons of how he wants them to live and act amongst the people. And he says, I want you to seek me out. I want you to seek the kingdom and everything that you do. Well, to a Hebrew people, to seek means to look at how to worship God in everything. In Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, Luke chapter 11 Let's go there real quick. It says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. Look. Look at ways to worship God in a definitive way. And you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, they find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Seek Him out. Make Him your number one priority to worship Him in every way you can. Because He's not hiding Himself from you. So in essence, we're being called to stop out issues. To stop worrying about tests. To stop worrying about problems. To stop worrying about future problems. And to focus on what matters in the here and the now. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the past year or any of the different things that are coming up because very soon, none of those things will matter when we're face to face with Jesus. Focus on the worship that you have in Christ. Focus on building your relationship with Him which is the center of your worship. That's what He's calling us to do when He says to seek and find. Seek that worship. Seek that life and you will find it. Luke chapter 12, verses 22-34, to it's the corresponding passage to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, and it, 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 and it makes perfect sense in its full context. Read it with me. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, so he's addressing his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor to your body as to what you will put on it. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. He's saying, look, look, I care about you more than what you look like when you come to the throne of God. I care about you more than I care about what you're putting into your body to eat. Because what was the more important thing to the Pharisees is, hey, those guys are eating on the Sabbath. Hey, are you eating the right things in the traditions that we've set up? And God is saying, I could care less about that. What I want is your heart worshiping me. Consider the ravens. 
Now he's saying, look at the unclean bird. Notice that? You see, in the original teaching in Matthew chapter 6, he says, look at the sparrows. Now he's telling us which sparrow was a clean animal. Now he's saying, look at the ravens. Look at this unclean animal. God cares about the unclean animal. Why would Jesus be saying that? Because he's about to open salvation to the unclean people. Not to the chosen nation of Israel, but to all the pagan, idol-worshipping people of the entire world. The Jewish Savior to die because he loved the world. Consider the ravens, for they do not sow nor reap. And they don't have a storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus is speaking about a divided mind here. A divided mind has lost heavenly focus. They've lost the God-given drive, the Christ-centeredness of this earth. The worry of life's riches has stolen the thought process, and all they're worried about is accruing more. Their life is revolving around self, and sadly, it's self-centeredness. And Jesus is saying, it's not bad to restore it's not bad to have abundance. It's not bad to have money. But it's bad to think only of self. You eliminate worry from your life by focusing your treasure and hiding it where it can never be touched. And Jesus says, put it in the, in the money bag that never wears out. Put it inside the storehouse that no one else has the key. Put it in the place where moth and rust and thieves can never touch it. Where you invest it in His kingdom 
for His glory. Amen? When Jesus is teaching this in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 12, in verse 29, Jesus says, don't keep worrying. Why does He say that? Because He's taking this lesson even further for His disciples. This is the second time He's teaching this to them. He's saying, don't keep worrying. Don't continue to worry. The Greek word for keep worrying here is, the, is where we get our English word meteor. It's the word meteorizo. And it means to lift up or suspend in the air. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be like a ship being tossed back and forth. That's where we get the phrase for it. That's where the original context of this was from was when a ship would be literally lift up by the waves and then it would just come crashing down on the next ebb that was coming. The ups and downs that the ships were having to go through, being tossed to and fro. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be like that in your life. Where you're high on Christ, when you're excited, where everything seems like it's going great, but a bump hits the road and now you're going, does God really love me? I don't have supplies in my pantry. Does God really care? I just lost my job because this boss fired me. Where was God in that? He's saying, don't base your life on the things that you have for my love. Because my love was displayed on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Amen. He says, I don't want you to be like a meteor crashing down. Or now you're just losing your faith, because it was based on things that don't have eternal value. Do not be overcome by worry. Don't be suspended in the air and stuck in your fears of if this doesn't take place, if this doesn't happen. He says, seek first, verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What are those things that he's talking about? It's the things that he says here in Luke chapter 12. The money bags that won't ruin. The, the thieves not breaking in and stealing. It's the same thing that he tells us in Matthew chapter 6. He says where, where the thieves will not break in and steal and the moth and the rust will not destroy. He's saying those are the things I want you to keep in your mind. Because those are things that last. Listen, brothers and sisters, when we seek the kingdom, when we seek the kingdom, what we're doing is we're seeking God's rule for our lives. We're saying, Jesus, you take control. I'm following you. Because what you decide matters. What you say goes. When we seek His righteousness, we seek His standard and His will for our lives. When we're seeking His righteousness, we're saying, God, I want You to guide me in that Matthew chapter 5 mentality, the Beatitudes. That is the standard of God. I want... To live thinking of others. 
I want to give that cup of cold water. I want to be one who praises you in every circumstance. Lord, I want to realize that without you, I'm empty, but when I'm with you, I'm full at all times. That's the heart of Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, is being content in every circumstance because you're full of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're being called to live as the standard of life here in Matthew chapter 6. To make Jesus our standard of righteousness. And to live a liberated life from worry and doubt. Focus on what adds to our life. Not just here in this moment, but into the eternal. All those relationships that we have with other people, our families, our work relationships, our friends, those that we care about, people we meet inside the grocery store that we can see are struggling and they just need somebody to talk to, those are the things that matter to Christ. Seek His standard and His righteousness. And when you do that, the moths don't, don't eat and destroy. The rust doesn't disintegrate. And the thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus is warning us how to be prepared. Why is He doing that? Well, take a look back at Luke chapter 12. Because as we'll see in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, all of this idea of living for Him and focusing on Him has to do with the mindset of being ready for when He calls us home or He returns. He's saying, I don't want you to be distracted by things that don't matter in life, so when I come back, you weren't busy. My professor in Bible, he used to always say, you don't want to live life regretting the way you're going to die, basically. He said, now, aside from eating and using the bathroom and sleeping, think of how you're going to die. Do you want it to be on that sin that you hold close? Because everybody's got that one. You know, it could be cursing, it could be, you know, gossiping, it could be whatever, whatever that sin is that you haven't let go and just given up to the Lord yet. Do you really want to die with the potential that it could be doing that? It could be the last thing that you're doing when you, the Lord finally calls you home is you're gossiping? Or, or you're, you're saying a curse word? So the last thing people remember you for is that vice that you had in your life? Jesus is saying, let go of those things. Those things don't matter in life. Yeah, they might please your flesh. They might make you feel like you're up on a pedestal. But release those things. I've already released you from them. Let them go. 
That's why immediately following this teaching in Luke chapter 12 where he's saying, hey, don't worry and just release it and focus on my kingdom and focus on the things that last in life. Verse 40, immediately following Luke chapter 12 in verse 40, he says, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So it's this warning that we have to be prepared in life. And part of that is not worrying about life. But focusing on His kingdom first. Not being distracted by the things that are around us, but being focused on His kingdom and expanding the message of the Gospel of grace. Amen? By living as free people. Jesus is saying in in John chapter 8, He says, hey look, when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Now live as free people. Don't act like you're a slave anymore is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. Stop going back to the slavery. Stop going back to the sin. Live free. Because you're free indeed. Amen? So we need to live focused on His kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 12, go ahead and go there with me because we're going to go in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. The writer says this. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit and he writes these things. He says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Remember I said that seeking God to the Hebrew people was looking for an opportunity of worship. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to live your life focused on the kingdom of God because that is your way of living in awe. Of him. That is you finding that worship in every moment. Why? Because God loved you so much that even when you didn't know him, didn't want to know him, was an enemy on, of him, Christ died for us. Friends, Keep focused on what lasts is what we're being told here. Keep focused on the kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will not crumble, that moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal, and rust cannot cover it. A kingdom focus where you are introducing God's grace and love and mercy and speaking it into this world 1 Peter chapter 2.11, it says that you should live as foreigners, as aliens to this world. This is what it means to live as an alien. It means your focus is on Him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that we are His ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Christ. The idea meaning that you are like the delegates of His kingdom, of the kingdom of God, to the embassy, which is not here on earth, but it's the one that we will have for eternity. 
So as representatives of His country, while you're in this foreign land, He's saying, don't get comfortable. Stay busy with His message. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, For here we do not have a lasting city. The writer is saying, hey look, we don't have a lasting city. Miami, it could be gone tomorrow. Right? I mean, if we're listening and seeing the stuff on the news, you know, next year it's going to all be underwater because of the emissions and the, and the cows breaking wind and things like that. If you study Israel's history, the current ancient city is built on the ancient city of the past. Where the temple is, they found pillars of Solomon's temple. I mean, think of that. Under the city, there's an entire other city, and that's what Jesus is saying, inspiring the writer of Hebrews. We don't have a lasting city. Not even Jerusalem has lasted. The original walls are crumbled to the ground. Not a single pillar of the original foundation is seen today. The city of Salem that Abraham had visited years and years and years before it became Jerusalem, you can't find it today. But we're seeking the city which is to come. Friends, keep focusing. This world is not our home. I love the song. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We long for His kingdom. But what is that kingdom? Because He tells us, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 and on. It says, Then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when He has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for He has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when He says all things are put under subjection, it is evident that He is expected to put all things in subjection to Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who has subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all and in all. The kingdom of Christ is His rule, not just of His church, not just of His people, it's what we're calling for when we pray the Lord's Prayer. That thousand year reign of peace, of prosperity, of the curse being removed, of Jesus sitting on the throne of David. 
where the lion and the lamb can come together, where there's no fear of walking outside. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 says it in this way. Revelation 20, 4 through 6, it says, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and the judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him. For a thousand years. So this is talking about those who believe in Jesus Christ being resurrected and coming with Him to reign for a thousand years. He's saying specifically they're blessed because they won't taste that second death, meaning they will not have separation from God in hell forever. These are believers that will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. Amen? And when we pray for that kingdom, we're praying for this. We're praying for the curse to be lifted from the land. We're praying that sin would be defeated in the life of our life and in the life of this world. We're praying that Jesus will come and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. We're praying for what God intended from the beginning, but Adam ruined by sinning. Man's rule over a curseless earth. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11 will take place from the line of David, the root of Jesse. He will rule righteously, is what verses 1 through 5 says. The lion and the calf, they'll graze together right next to each other without fear of one eating the other. The wolf and the lamb will sleep alongside each other to keep warm, is what verses 6 and 7 says, because there is no predator and there will be no prey. Verse 8 says that a baby will be able to reach inside of the cobra's den and pull it out and play with the snake without fear of being bitten and killed by its venom. That was what God had planned in that garden. And that's what we'll have for a thousand years in Jesus. That's what we pray for in that kingdom. And that's what we should seek is what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6. Isaiah 2.4 says the ground would be fertile, no weeds or thorns, and that people will take their guns, they'll take their knives, they'll take their swords, and because of the fertileness of this earth, they'll beat them into plowshares. There'll be so much abundance. And this is what the earth moans for, Romans 8 tells us. It calls for it. Romans 8, 19-23, it says that the earth longs for us to receive our new bodies. It longs and aches for Jesus to sit on the throne of David. Why? Because it wants to be made perfect again too. Please, Lord, free us from corruption of sin. Free us from the curse of man. Remove the evil and the pain and the death and the suffering and the cancers of this world. During Jesus' reign, the world will see how God's plan for the garden was and how it could have played out. But until that day, until the day I'm 
breathing my last, or the rapture takes place, then we have to do our job of living for Him here and now. Amen? That's what Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Until the day that kingdom takes place, Lord, I'm going to be living out your kingdom in my life. Because this is the only control that we have is our life, right? Seek his kingdom. But it also says seek his standard. Look at again at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, as we try to wrap things up. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Unless your righteousness goes past fakeness, The Pharisees seemed holy and righteous, but they were doomed. They had the same fate as the rest of the world. Eternal separation from God and hell. That's why Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs, meaning that they looked beautiful on the outside. They might have even had flowers outside of the tomb. Beautiful etching. Maybe pictures of angels on it. Pretty on the outside. Nice and clean, taken care of. Good smells on the outside, but inside, six feet down, was a dead body, a rotting corpse. A dead man's bones. So why does Jesus say the righteousness of his followers needs to exceed those of the scribes and Pharisees? Take a look, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, 27 to 33. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which are on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The reason why Jesus says they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness is because if you touched a dead person, if you touched the bones of a dead person, you were unclean ceremonially. You had to wait a week and you had to go to the rabbi and do special types of ceremonially cleanliness in order to start worshiping again. And Jesus is saying is, I don't hear the worship of these unclean people because inside they are defiling themselves. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners in the shedding of the blood of prophets. Remember, the prophets in the Old Testament, they were killed at the hands of their own people, at the hands and orders of the kings and the priests. And the Pharisees, they would look and they would go in the street corner saying, oh, we wouldn't have taken part of that. We would have prevented that. But who were the ones that they would say, crucify Him? The Messiah. So you testify against yourselves. Jesus just puts it right out there for them. 
that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape your sentence from hell? He called them hypocrites, snakes, evil, empty of compassion and love. And he ends it by saying, how will you be saved from hell when your true righteousness is shown? When your true worship, your true standard is tested? Why? Because apart from Jesus, your actions mean nothing. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, what you do doesn't matter. Apart from being in Him and worshiping Him and being in His grace and tasting His grace, words, works, actions are nothing without Jesus Christ. Amen? It doesn't matter if you give a million dollars to the poor. We see millionaires do it all the time, but they're empty inside and their actions mean nothing because they don't know Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, it says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of their surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul's saying, look, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Benjamite. I was all the things that men would want to accomplish in their religious life. But they are nothing. I've counted myself as lost to them. I've cut them off. I've separated from them. Why? Because it's more important to know Jesus Christ than any of those things. He continues on, verse 9, and may that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on behalf of faith. That God sees me as holy and clean, not because of actions that I do or words that I say but because Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Jesus makes us righteous and living a life of love for Him and others is His standard of righteous living. When you live out this love, when your heart is filled with love for God and for others and for your fellow man, you're living the righteous standard and you're suppressing that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But what did he mean by those that don't live in this way will not enter the kingdom? Does that mean that works are essential for eternal life? No way. In no way is Jesus saying that your actions and your works give you eternal life. Remember, Jesus is addressing his disciples and they already believe in him. They believe that he is Messiah. Jesus says eternal life is through believing. Before he taught this, he had taught Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Before he taught this, he had taught John chapter 6, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. In fact, Paul reiterates that the way to get into the kingdom of heaven is through belief. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom. 
The kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So our kingdom transfer comes when we put our trust in Jesus. So what is Jesus talking about here? In entering the kingdom. He's talking about the standard of living that He wants in His kingdom and in our life. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, that's the key of this passage, will be added to you. If we seek His standard, seek His living, seek his for Him first, these things will be added to us not in the here and the now, but in the kingdom that lasts. Brothers and sisters, as we go each day, let's live each moment seeing how we could be living as representatives of Jesus Christ. Let's try to live out in the best way we can His righteousness of love peace, mercy, and grace in our life. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.